0: Thank you. Appreciate that. And where the story really of Job is a always a, it's a wonderful story to remind us that we're to praise God through thick and thin, good and bad. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it's easy when you're on the mountains. It is man to praise the Lord. Uh, but boy, it's hard when you get down in that valley sometimes, and uh, and you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, it's not as easy to praise the Lord, but we still ought to because He's still just as good as when we're on the mountaintops. And so, what a great what a great testimony Job has. And thank you for that special. Uh, I'm not preaching on that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Chronicles chapter number 13, and uh, and and certainly. Um, we we ought to thank God for everything, and uh, First Chronicles chapter number thirteen. I was reading through my Bible, and uh, let me just stop right there. I try to mention this regularly. You you ought to be reading through your Bible, all right. Uh, we encourage you to read through your Bible once a year, and uh, and I, I strive to do more than that, but I, I strive to do at least that. And so I encourage you as well. Uh, To read through your Bible, and maybe you got one of our Bible reading uh, programs in the back. It'll read through the entire Bible in one year, and maybe you got a little bit behind. I want to encourage you. Hey, jump back in it. It's okay if you're behind. Jump back in wherever you're at, and just keep plugging away. Uh, And when you get to the end of the year, and you've read through your Bible, or or maybe you know into the next year, whatever, then uh, there's just something about having uh, completed that and and doing that that'll be a blessing to you. even year after year and ultimately what it will do is it will familiarize you with the Word of God and uh, and you'll find yourself well, I know I read this in the Bible somewhere, and you might not know where, but you'll know. I know it's in there, and uh, and you go back and find it, and God will bring those things to your mind. And so reading the Word of God is important. Anyways, I was reading through the Bible, and I came across this verse and this passage, and we'll look at this morning, and it's truly a sad commentary, uh, to be honest with you. First Chronicles chapter number 13, and the Bible says this, and david consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader and david said unto all the congregation of israel if it seem be if it seem good unto you and that it be of the lord our god let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of israel and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. In verse number 3, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Sihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jiram. And uh, as we look at this, Uh, Let's stop and pray, and then I'll give you some of the backdrop of this story. But let's uh, have a word of prayer before we get into our message this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the liberty that we have to be here gathered in your house. And Father, thank you for uh, the, the, the songs that we've sung and the music that we've heard. And God, I pray that you would use me this morning. God, I pray that you would speak and touch each and every heart this morning as only you can. And, Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. And, God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this verse, verse number three is where I want to focus. He said, And let us bring again the ark of our God, to us. Now, that's not the sad part. That is a good part. Uh, and this is when David uh, has first ascended to the throne. Really, uh, he he has not done very much, and this is one of his uh, first things that he has uh, requested of the nation. And so he sent out to all the people, and he sent out to all the captains, and he said, Hey, we need to get the ark of God back to our, our place. And, uh, and, and you notice the second part is the sad commentary because he says this. He says in verse number three, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And so you have both a good thing and a bad thing coupled in this verse uh, as far as context is concerned. And obviously I would certainly applaud David on his move to bring the Ark of God uh, back to Jerusalem and have it as a central part uh, for the nation of Israel because it had been setting in kirjath Jearim. And, uh, and let me just give you a backdrop. This is probably not going to be one of my typical messages I usually like, one, two, and three, and I usually try and give you all the points and all of that. But uh, but let me, let's go back and let's give you the backdrop on the importance of of the Ark of, Cov- of the Covenant. Uh, what was the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, God instituted it way back in Exodus, chapter number 25. And uh, they have all the dimensions, and, and all of that is laid out, and how it was to be made, and what it was to be used for, and all of that was given by God. He gave very clear instructions, and I would encourage you, hey, go back and read about the Ark of the Covenant, and how God had... had, had instituted it to be something important for the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter number 25 and verse number 22, the Bible says this, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And so God made a promise uh, to the nation of Israel and to Moses. And he said, hey, I will commune with thee. I will be with thee. I find it very interesting uh, because God was very clear in that passage. You can go back and, and note it down. It's Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 22. He did not say that he would be in the Ark of the Covenant. But rather, that he would be above that ark of the covenant, over the mercy seat, where the two cherubims had their wings spread. And, and, uh, and what a fascinating uh, thing that God's presence would be associated with this ark of the covenant, not contained in it, because God obviously could not be contained in a box. Uh, but, but certainly, his presence would be associated with that ark of the covenant. And it was a very important thing, uh, that God made a big deal of it. He promised to commune with them uh, and and to give them instruction. And and you'll notice that Ark of the Covenant then became very important. They built that uh, and it became very important even through the the, the wilderness wanderings. I almost got my words all confused there. Uh, And as they were wandering in the wilderness, uh, they were to take that Ark of the Covenant. And of course, uh, they were not to touch it and grab it. The priests uh, had poles and there were little loops. They were to shove those poles through on either side. And priests were to carry that Ark of the Covenant wherever it went. And it represented God's presence with the nation of Israel. And uh, as they wandered through that wilderness, God often used that ark to direct them in where they were to go. Uh, they spent 40 years, as you may know, wandering through that wilderness. And as they did, the Ark of the Covenant was very important for them in that they were to follow that thing. The Bible says in Numbers chapter number 10 and verse number 33, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to serve search out a resting place for them. And so they were following this ark wherever God would lead and wherever God would instruct. You say, preacher, how exactly did that happen? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I do know this. Hey, as those priests would grab that ark, they'd carry it around and they would walk. Maybe God gave them instruction, maybe audibly. And he said, hey, boys, uh, hey, hang a left at that next rock. I don't know how God directed them. Uh, but they were out in ahead and they were out in front and they were directing and the nation of Israel was to follow this ark because it was the very presence of God for the nation of Israel now it was not an idol OK, it was not to be bowed down to. Matter of fact, it's very interesting. Uh, I was reading all these verses about the ark and, and everywhere that it went. And 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 of course, we'll get into this a little bit later. But the, uh, many of the other nations had idols and man, they made they made fancy idols. I mean, they, you know, uh, one maybe was a person and maybe an animal figure and all this other stuff. And the nation of Israel, they had a box they were carrying around. I mean, it was not intended to be an idol. Yes, it was beautiful. Yes, it was gold. It was overlaid with gold. Yes, there was that mercy seat that would sit on top of it. Yes, there were the cherubims that were there, but obviously they did not represent God. uh, and, And it was just an idea of the representation of the presence of God with the nation of Israel. And so as they wandered through the wilderness, uh, listen, they were to follow God uh, everywhere they went. Hey, listen, as Christians, what a great, what a great uh, picture for us. Hey, listen, sometimes we'll go through dry spells in our life. You just keep following God. You just keep following God and and looking to God for leadership and say, God, I'm looking for your leadership. And so uh, the ark led the nation of Israel through those wilderness wanderings. Not only that, but I want you to notice... After, after they had gotten through those, uh, that wilderness and Moses turns over the reins of the nation of Israel to Joshua. God had appointed Joshua then to be in command that Joshua was to go in and he was known for conquering the land. You'll remember that. You go back and you reread the book of Joshua. The Ark of the Covenant was very important even in the book of Joshua uh, because as they would go into those nations, they would would consult God's presence about what they were to do. In Joshua chapter number 3 and verse number 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, When ye see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall be removed from your place and go after it. And so they were continued following that Ark of the Covenant. And listen, it was even uh, involved in conquering the land and, and they would bring it with them. And, and God's presence was to be with the nation of Israel wherever they went. And they were to follow that. They were to live in that. And, and understand this, not only was it not an idol, but I need to say this as well, it was not merely a good luck charm that they would pull along with them. We'll see that throughout the history of the ark. And we're just kind of understanding from where it came, uh, where it was instituted, and what was the, 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 the time and the use of it throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and they had it with them. And then you get uh, through all the conquering of the land, and they had the ark, and it was very important to them. And you find in the book of Judges that the ark of covenant is hardly even mentioned. And I found it very fascinating because, listen, as they were wandering through the wilderness, they had to follow where the ark would lead them. When they went into the land to conquer it, uh, they they had the ark of God uh, to go in and to conquer that land. But when they moved into their houses, when they moved into their places and everything was fine, listen, they were no longer dependent upon the ark of the covenant and God's presence. And I'm reminded of the, the, the warning that God had given them in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, hey, uh, beware lest when you move into your houses that are already built and you did not have to build them. And, and you're eating from the gardens that you did not have to plant and you did not have to weed. And, and he says, then beware lest thou forget the Lord God. And, and exactly what he warned them about is what took place as they neglected the very Ark of the Covenant throughout the entire period of the book of Judges. It's barely even commented on, and it hardly shows up at all in the book of, of Judges. And, uh, and, and it became something that was not a concern for the nation of Israel. And you'll be reminded that in the book of Judges, the Bible often says, And every man did that which was right in their own eyes. The book of Judges is is ups and downs. I mean, the nation of Israel does good for a little bit and then they, they they lose sight of God, they lose interest in God and, and God allows their enemies to come in and to conquer the nation of Israel and and they'll be under judgment for a while with other nations uh, taking over them and and eventually uh, they'll realize man we've got to get back to God and God will raise up a judge in the nation of Israel and and they'll over they'll overthrow those those other countries that are, are oppressing them and and they'll have victory for a while but then pretty soon, the the judgment will come and they'll neglect God and the judgment will come back and, and it's just a cycle of that over and over throughout the book of Judges and there's not a concern, at least not an evident concern of the presence of God in the nation of Israel throughout the entirety of the book of Judges. And I find that fascinating. Then you get towards the end of the book of Judges we find that great prophet Samuel and you know the story in the in the beginning of the book of Samuel, and Eli is there, and of course he uh, his sons were wicked, and and uh, God raises up Samuel uh, to be a, really a great prophet in the nation of Israel, probably uh, one of the greatest prophets in the nation of Israel. Not that he did a wonderful miracles like Elijah and Elisha did, but he was certainly a great influence throughout the nation of Israel for a great amount of time. And uh, and God raises up Samuel as a wonderful prophet in the nation of Israel and used him greatly uh, throughout the history there uh, when they first came. And and listen, uh, as as he comes uh, into the scene and, and we find that uh, he becomes important, but right around that time, just before that happens, we find that there was a battle that took place. And Israel, actually, you go back and read it. Go with me to First Samuel chapter 4. I want you to see this. Save your spot in Chronicles as we'll be back here. Chronicles chapter 13. Go with me to First Samuel chapter number 4. First Samuel chapter number 4. And watch this in verse number 3. The Bible says this. First Samuel chapter number 4 and verse number 3, the Bible says, When the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let me just pause here and say this, and we're in 1 Samuel 4, 3. The nation of Israel had gone to battle, and they had been smitten by the Philistines. And they, they said, man, what's going on? Why did we lose against the Philistines? And, and they're actually, if you read it, they're, they're blaming God. Why did the Lord allow us to be smitten before the Philistines? Let's continue as we read there in the middle of the verse. He said, then they said, Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies." And you see how the nation of Israel has lost the concern for the Ark of the Covenant and simply because they lost this battle, it now became like a good luck charm and they said, you know, we remember the days about Joshua when they would go to battle and they would conquer their enemies and this land was given unto us because uh, because Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant would go into battle and they would conquer all of these lands and we've lost to the Philistines. Why? Maybe it's because we didn't have our, our good luck charm, the Ark of the Covenant, with us. And that's really their mindset. Look at it again with me. He says there, And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies." Look with me in verse 4. So the people sent uh, to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the ark of the covenant of God. Let me just pause here and just add a commentary. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked sons of Eli. God was about to judge them. And really, uh, I'm, a, I'm amazed that, hey, that, that God would even allow them to carry it forth into battle. But I just think it's just my personal opinion, God's presence wasn't there at that time. Uh, their motive was not right. Their heart was not right. The guys that were carrying it were not right. And, and the whole set of circumstances was just wrong. And we find that they go into battle. And as they go into battle, uh, you know what happened is, is uh, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. The nation of Israel lost the battle and the Ark of the Covenant was taken then into the land of the Philistines. God allowed all that to happen because the nation of Israel was not where it ought to have been. And so it goes into the uh, land of the Philistines. Fascinating story. I love reading that. I encourage you to go back and read it. Uh, But basically it goes, uh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant the Philistines did into the house of Dagon, uh, which was their god. And and almost in a boastful manner, look, our god Dagon has conquered the god of Israel. And that's really what it boiled down to with the nation of of the Philistines. And many of the nations in those days, that they would pray to their gods. and, And they were very uh, religious people in general and they believed in their gods and so they brought the, the Ark of the Covenant into the house of Dagon. I love this because the Bible says overnight while they left that thing in the, in the house of Dagon that Dagon was fallen down before the Ark of the Covenant. And God's got a sense of humor because I mean could you imagine here's their, here's their God bowed down to the symbol of the presence of the Almighty God. And so there, the priest comes in. I could just kind of see him. Whoa, what happened? He's, all, he's, all, he's got to go stand his God back up. There's something wrong when you've got to stand your own God back up. But he goes and he stands his God back up. And Man, I hope nobody hears about that. I don't want nobody to see that. And, and, uh, and all day long and goes home. And, and the next day, the same thing happens. Only this time, the hands of Dagon broke off when he fell. There's something wrong with your God when it's breakable and it doesn't stand up on its own. There's just something wrong with that picture. God knocked that thing over again. But it was far worse than just that. Because the Bible says, and we're right there in Samuel, you go forward, Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 11. It spent seven months in the land of the Philistines. Look with me in verse number 11, First Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 11. The Bible says this. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, that would be the leaders of the Philistines, and said, send away the ark of of the God of Israel and let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people, for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. That place was smitten of God. And God was judging the nation of uh, of the Philistines. And and listen, uh, His presence could not be stood there. And His hand was heavy upon them. And and so you know the story. They consulted. They made a a brand new cart. And and they loaded that thing up on a cart. And they got some oxen that had never drawn a cart before. And and they put that thing on there. And they said, "Uh, man, get out of here. Go away. We do not want it here. And, and those oxen drew it, and it come back into the land of Israel. And they took the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says, and they moved it to a place called Beth Shemesh. And they had it there. But these men took, the Bible says, and they opened it up, and they looked inside to see what it was. And, and the Bible says that many men died there. They were smitten of the Lord. Here's the nation of Israel, of all the people, I would understand the Philistines not understanding how to, how to care for uh, the ark of God, but I don't understand the nation of Israel going right up to the very presence of God, or the representation thereof, and touching it and looking inside of it, because God had given them very specific instructions on how to handle the ark of the covenant. The Bible says that many men died in Beth Shemesh. And finally they they said, man, we don't want this thing here. And they sent it to uh, Kirjath Jerom. And for the next 20 years the Ark of the Covenant would be neglected setting in Kirjath Jerom. And there it sat for 20 years. And in all that time was the time that Saul had been anointed king. You'll remember Samuel was a young child, young boy, when that ark was taken. And it spent seven months there in, in the Philistines. I don't know how long it was in Beth Shemesh. And uh, it was not very long there because the men did not want it there. They died from it. And, so, and then it spent, uh, the Bible's very clear and tells us that it was 20 years in Kirjath-Jerim. And Samuel, during that time, had ministered and, and, and worked. And, and, of course, Saul had been anointed king over Israel. And, and we find that, that Saul, uh, throughout his entire reign, uh, we find that, that he, uh, he was always uh, consulting Samuel. The Bible here in our text, go back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and verse number 3. And the Bible says this, This is David. He says, Let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Saul was, of course, the first king of Israel. And Samuel was a great man of God in the nation of Israel. There's no doubt about it. He was used mightily. He anointed Saul as king And Samuel was certainly a man of God. And I don't want to to bring any reproach on Samuel's name by any stretch of the imagination and understand that he was a great man of God. And Saul's concern as king of the nation of Israel was that of advice from Samuel. So he would call Samuel. Matter of fact, Samuel anointed him to be king. God told Samuel to do that. And and God raised up Saul. And and Saul would call on Samuel. And he'd get advice. And and we find one time during his reign, and I didn't mark it down, but you can go back and find it, that Saul uh, was was at a point in his life and, and he tells his high priest, go get the Ark of the Covenant. And then the very next verse, Saul says, no, don't do that. And he changes his mind. And you'll find through the entire reign of King Saul that there was one problem after another. And Saul was eaten up with jealousy because of David. And Saul basically had lost the presence of God and, 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 and he was a concerned for his kingdom and, and things were not going well for Saul. And, and he would always call Samuel, Samuel, I need your advice. But he wouldn't always follow what Samuel would say. Remember the time that God sent Samuel and said, hey, you're to destroy everything in that that town. And and Saul did not. Matter of fact, he left the sheep alive and, and Samuel come to him and said, hey, what mean the bleeding of this sheep? Because you haven't done what God told you to do. We find that Saul represents a person that doesn't mind having the counsel of a godly man that is close to him, but he never once consulted the very presence of God in his life. He, he keeps God at an arm's distance from his life. And we find this verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse number 13. And it says, David is speaking and he says, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Even after Samuel had died. What did Saul do? He was in a dilemma. He was bewildered. He had lost his faithful man of God that would come at every beck and call. And Samuel was faithful to always proclaim the word of God. Samuel was a a good man of God, a good prophet. But after Saul had lost him and he was bewildered and he didn't even know what to do, Saul stooped so low as to go to a witch and try and summon up Samuel to come give him advice. Listen, witchcraft was strictly prohibited in the word of God. Not only was it prohibited in the word of God and by God, but also in Saul's kingdom. Saul had to dress himself up so that he disguised himself because he knew if I show up as the king, this witch is not going to deal with me. It's illegal in the nation of Israel. But he goes to that witch and tries to summon up Saul Samuel. And I'm just saying, the Ark of the Covenant was always sitting right there in Kirjath-Jerim and never moved. By the way, you go back and read it: the men of Kirjath-Jerim had been blessed greatly by the presence of God in Kirjath-Jerim. Meanwhile, in Israel, in, in, in Saul's kingdom where he was reigning and in his uh, realm that he dealt with, God was not blessing. Matter of fact, he ran into problem after problem after problem. And he did not desire the presence of God. And we find that David, as soon as he comes in as king, he desires the presence of God in his kingdom and in his life. And as I read that and I thought about that and you think about this sad verse of commentary, he says, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it at the days of Saul. Listen, David knew the work and ministry of Samuel. Samuel had anointed David uh, as uh, to be the next king over Israel. David was very familiar with prophets. Matter of fact, David had good prophets. There were other prophets. Even after Samuel had passed away. Hey, listen, the nation of Israel always had prophets, even at their worst time. And Elijah said, I'm the only one. God said, you're not the only one. I've got, I've got 6,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. God always had prophets there in Israel. There were always good men that were willing to proclaim the word of God. But listen, David didn't want just the word of God. He didn't just want counsel from a man of God. He wanted the very presence of God in his life and in his kingdom. And you contrast that with Saul that kept God at an arm's length and said, yeah, I'll, I'll let the man of God come talk to me, and I'll let him tell me what God's saying, but man, I, I don't want God that close to me. And I read those, that verse in the commentary, and, and the thought is this, David recognized and requested the very presence of God. And listen, there are a lot of Christian people today, they want to keep God at an arm's length. Oh, they'll come to church, they'll sit in the pew, and they'll listen to the message because after all, they, they want the counsel and advice of a godly man. They want to hear what's being said. But when it comes down to God's very presence being in their life every single day, they're like, they pull a saw. said I don't, I don't want God that close to me. I'll listen to the man of God. I'll listen to the counsel. I'll not always obey it. I'll not always follow it. I'll not always do what he says. But man, and any time I call him, he'll come. And, and listen, we'll come as preachers. Hey, we'll, we'll give advice. We'll tell you what the Word of God says. But I'm telling you that we live in a day and age when you can have the very presence of God in your life every single day of the week. I can't live in your house and I don't want to. And after a day, you'd be sick of me and want me out too. But I tell you what, God can spend every minute, every second, every hour of every day with every one of us. The question boils down to, are we like David and do we desire the presence of God? Or are we like Saul and we say, Ah, let's keep him at arm length. Let's listen to the man of God. but let's not, let's not have God that close to us. Because it's scary to have God that close. And we find that in this passage, David sought after God. And he sought the very presence of God. I was reminded of this verse. The Bible says in John 15, 4, he says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me. Our Christian lives will be fruitless without the very presence and reality of God in our life. A lot of people like the nation of Israel, they want God as a good luck charm. Let's grab them. We're, we're going out. We're, we've got a big battle ahead of us today. Boy, we got a lot of problems today. Boy, we, now we need God in our life. But then we'll put them back in, in Kirjath-Jerim when they don't need them. And for the next 20 years, leave them abandoned. And I'm just saying that God wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be part of our life. The question boils down to, do you want it? Will you let him, will you invite him to be a part of your life? I'm not talking about salvation. I hope and pray you're already saved. But even as believers, many people push away God and they don't want him very close In their life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we stand to our feet, God's presence, do you desire God's presence in your life? Father, I pray, as we look at the life of Saul and we've looked at the life of David and the stark contrast, God, we see how Saul's kingdom was not very good. God, we see that David's kingdom certainly was not perfect, but yet you called him a man after your own heart. I believe, God, the difference being that David desired your presence. God, I hope and pray that every believer, every saved person, under the sound of my voice this morning, desires your presence in their life. God, I pray that they're not just keeping you at an arm length and they're consulting the man of God and want to know what you say, but they're not willing to be in your very presence. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. God, I pray that as Christians, you would help us to desire your presence to desire you to be a part of our life every single day. I pray, God, that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the piano's playing, maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you just want to come and pray and say, God, I desire your presence in my life. Maybe you just want to kneel down before him and say, God, thank you. Think about the fact that almighty God that created the heavens and earth is interested in being part of your life. That's incredible. That's amazing. And I tell you this, we ought not pass that up. Saul kept him at an arm length. David wanted him close. Piano's playing, the altar's open.